Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to make sure you know more about our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners are dedicated to health and wellness, and part of that is making sure that our metabolisms are working efficiently. Lots of messaging about weight loss tells us that we should just be exercising more and eating less, but what if you feel like your metabolism is broken? Senya focuses on balancing your body and repairing your metabolism, which means that weight loss feels effortless again. After more than a decade of working with patients on their digestion and metabolism, the Healing Insight team developed a proprietary acupuncture method for weight loss, one that nobody else in the country is using. Their holistic metabolic acupuncture programs combine specialty acupuncture techniques with herbal medicine to repair your metabolism, restore your energy and digestion, and stimulate your fat cells to burn more efficiently. So my mom, Susie, went to Senya for help before my sister's wedding and raves about this program. She says, not only did I lose those extra pounds that had crept up, but my energy level was off the charts. I love feeling balanced. Stop the ups and downs and visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn about healing your metabolism and all of the other women's health treatments available. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And I, I would say I would add today to that peaceful nests to fly into a peaceful world oh, because good. today we're talking about peaceful parenting. And I I love something that happened to me. I don't talk a lot about my, specifically about my own parenting or sort of pat myself on the back for my parenting. <laughs> my children are 29 and 27. And I've always said, I have no idea how I've done until they're in relationship with somebody else. I think that's when like all of your problems come to the <laughs> forefront. So we'll see when they, when they choose a wife or a husband or whatever they choose. And then um, when they have their own children, that's yes. when you see how much you mess them up. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But for this one small moment, I will share that my son Campbell, who whom I adore, called me, as he often does, we will call each other with pieces of books that we're enjoying or quotes that we love. We've done this pretty much his most of his young adult life. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the kind of kid that in his room, he would have quotes hanging like on the back of his door, things that he read, that he loved, that he didn't want to forget. I've done that my pretty much my whole life as well as I'll That's note so them. That's so cute. And so now we just have this thing where he'll call and he's headed toward, he wants to become a, a family counselor therapist. And so he, a lot of his pleasure reading is just about those kinds of issues. So he's reading a book called Peace. Um, the book is called Parenting for a Peaceful World. And I'm not recommending the book one way or the other because I didn't read it. So I never feel good about recommending it. But I wanted to share with you the quote that he called to read to me mm-hmm. because it was powerful. So uh, here's the quote. 
Whenever we impose our own purpose on our children, our plans tend to backfire. Children want to be seen for the totality of their being. They resist, and rightly so, our fervent hopes that they become good doctors, lawyers, humanitarians, or nice people. We smother them with our expectations. Our children do not want to be our projects. They want to be enjoyed and related to for who they are at any given moment, as if who they are now and who they are becoming in this instance is all they will ever be. They want to get to know us as real people, and they need us to remain open to whom they are as individuals. Almost always, they will surprise us, confound our expectations. Children are not adults in the making. They are not clay to be molded. They are children, and that is that. Our task is to wonder at them to learn about ourselves through our relationships with them. It is also important to remind ourselves that children are not them, they are us. We have felt what they feel, yearned for what they yearned for, and if we are honest with ourselves, still do. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's It's, so good. Okay, tell me, tell me what you hear in that, what hooks you in that? Well, I love it so much, number one. And I think the idea that we put these expectations on our kids of who they must be, we're doing that all the time. Yeah. We're constantly doing that because we're also doing it to ourselves. Yeah. So we're always putting these ideas of this expectation of who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, what success is supposed to look like. And so how are we supposed to achieve that? And then comparing ourselves to other people. And we are just then pushing that on our children. And that little piece right there, I think, is so incredible. You sent that to me, and I kept looking at it on the screenshot that you sent me, Marjorie, over the last couple of days before we had this conversation. And it is so powerful to think about just looking at your kids for who they are in that moment, yeah, not having anything to do with having to force them to be who they need to be. Speaking of that, here's, here comes one of my children. Yeah. What are you saying? Perfect Bernie? timing. He clips crying. Then go get Papa and tell him. Okay. Cause he's in charge. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that is so perfect. Papa is in charge. Um, he knows he needs to go get Heathy and pick him up. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Burn, burn. <laughs> That's the little mama right there. I love that though. I love that. And I love the sweetness with she, with which she says it. He's crying. Mama, do something. Cliff's crying. crying. Yes, yes. Well, I think he, I, I had to ask when Campbell and I were having a discussion about that, I had to ask him, okay, so how does that feel to you? Yeah. You know, how did we do in in that? Because our house was not a house without pressure. Sure. You know, this is this is not about f- sort of free range kids and they get to do and be whatever they want. Don't worry about school. I don't think that's what this paragraph is saying. Certainly, no, I don't think I, so either. Certainly, I couldn't hook into it if it did because I would right. be a hypocrite. I did put a lot of pressure on my children to use the brains that they were given. Right. I think if you can think, if you're a critical thinker, if you and it, I, I hesitate to use the word smart because I think that. That sort of gets put. It's a label that put gets put on children that get A's. Yeah, and I don't think that's the totality of what it means to be smart at it's all. It's distorted. It's like the word health, Marjorie. Like yes. they, it gets yep. distorted into like marketing and all these weird yeah. things. Yeah, and so I, I don't. But what I would always tell them is, you need to study. You need to do your work. You've been you've been given the ability to understand what's in front of you. And as my children remind me now that they're adults. 
the mantra, to whom much is given, much is expected, was drilled right. into their heads, yeah. which was its own kind of pressure, which they are feeling as adult men now. The flip side of that is I, I, I tried really hard not to, and I don't think I was perfect at this, to, to, to not make them be something they didn't want to be. Right. I, I, I didn't say you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, mostly because in my own upbringing, I knew lots of doctors that I didn't want my children to be anything like. <laughs> and certainly that was true of lawyers. Plus, I doctors and lawyers today, now it's just a whole lot of student loan debt and not a yeah, great salary I mean, at the beginning. <laughs> I think it's an easy, you know, it's an easy thing for people to say that that's a sign of success. And I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, if you're a doctor, yay you. Uh, yeah. Go heal. That's wonderful. But I don't <laughs> think that's the only way to define success. So my son said to me, he said, no, in terms of shaping who, what we had to do, you you guys didn't do that. And we were grateful for that. That being said, there was still pressure that I put on them. And I think this, what this speaks to me, it, it was interesting because, so he was pretty happy. In the end, he was, he, he felt pretty good about how we had handled that. It forced me, I kept reading this over and over again, to think about who I became mm-hmm. and what I was as a child. And as a child, I have to give so much credit back to not only my mother, but in so many ways, my father, who had these four little girls in the 1970s, who, and I think a lot of how I raised my boys came from him, made it his mission to facilitate what we were interested in. Yeah, that's so great. And what we loved. And I've talked about this before, but this just reminded me, my sister wanted to be a vet boy, at age nine, she had the best microscope you could ever hope for. I wanted to be, at age eight, a lawyer. I was being given a book list. I was reading books about famous lawyers, about Clarence Darrow, about, I was reading books about politics at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And he just was, I mean, and I look back at that and I think so much of knowing that your father loved you and wanted you to be something, just figure it out. Not be this or be that, but just be something <laughs> was so helpful. And I think that was a reaction to what his father had done to him, which his father was a doctor in a small town. So they were sort of the, you know, in those days, the top tier of the town. Right. And he went to the University of Michigan. Father paid for his first year of school as a freshman at the University of Michigan when my dad was pre-med and when my dad said, sophomore year, I don't, I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah, I, would I don't rather, want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a doctor. I, I, I want to major in economics. I want to be in business. Right, which is it, not like not like he decided to just go live on the side of the road. No, <laughs> I mean, no. His father, cut, his father cut him off. Yeah. Boy. Not only cut him off, but like took all of his stuff and took it out of the house. No like he was, way. He was kicked out. For wanting to major in economics? At the University of Michigan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I hate to laugh because that's really no. traumatic, but, like, well, it's we kind of laughable, right? Isn't it? Oh, God, yes. But we wonder why my father may have had some issues later yeah. in life yeah. about feeling unloved. Yeah. And my father's mother died when he was five, so there was no tempering force on that way. Yeah. And so I, all of that sort of wraps into that quote for me of like, yes, there are things that I think in raising children that we must do, but oh my God, it's so damaging. But 
I don't know. I don't know. So for you, how does this inform, like, when you look at your kids? Does it change anything? Or I feel like you were already headed in this direction. Yeah, we're definitely in that direction. I remember, so Jay played hockey, right? So my husband played, he played in the minors for many years after he played in college. And he, um, and that's a big darn deal. Yeah, he played all the way through. And so, and he is always asked, so are your boys going to play hockey? Are the, is Frank, when is Franklin going to be on skates? Is Franklin going to play hockey? And he is, it's interesting because he hesitates on that a lot where some days he says like, Hey buddy, you want to play hockey? And then some days he's like, but he's not going to play hockey. Right. <laughs> he sort of vacillates right. between. Right. But I remember when Jay and I were dating, when we first started dating, he'd moved back to the Twin Cities and he started teaching um, skating lessons. So there's, oh, you know, there cute. are like these private skating lesson operations right. that are all over Minnesota. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big deal to teach your kids and to get these private operations. Side note, my and- husband never had any sort of private lesson whatsoever. His parents never paid for any of that. It, his his love of hockey truly just came from within his soul. You know, right. his dad right. didn't even ever play. So right. when Which Jay was teaching these skating lessons, he would tell me that there would be, there would always be parents, especially the dads, who were just so obsessed with their kids playing hockey. Yeah, And he would say that he'd talk to these dads and they'd be like, Oh man, this is so great. My kid is so into this. He's so into this. My kid, this is all he wants to do. All he wants to do is play hockey. He wants to play in the NHL. And Jay would go be thinking to himself, your kid is asking if this lesson is over eight minutes into it. Your kid is not, is distracted all the time where when Jay was young, he would skip school in like first grade to shoot pucks by himself in his basement. I mean, this is like, this is the kind of like innate love that he had for the game versus being pushed into it because of what your parents think. And that was something that was, you look back and, and when you're in the thick of parenting, like we are, listen, we, we certainly do not agree on everything. And there are a lot of disagreements about things that we have. And there are things that I think that he could do better. And I'm sure there are things that he thinks I could do better. I don't know what, but I'm sure there are those things. But he, I always, I remember that there are these things as like you remember from the beginnings of your relationship, as you start to sort of subconsciously take inventory of how that person, how that potential partner would be as a parent, right? I mean, that's what's happening when you're dating. And I remember thinking he's not going to push his dreams onto our kids. And that is really great. Like that makes me really happy because there could be this thing of like, Jay always wanted to play in the NHL and he didn't play in the NHL. He played in the minors. Right. And could it be that he pushed that on our kids to achieve what he didn't achieve? Didn't achieve because he knows the path. Right. And I learned quickly that that wasn't going to be him. Thank God. Yeah. Because I don't think that's ever – I mean, I think there are probably some sports stories where that works out okay. But it only works out okay if Franklin were the kind of kid that were hitting pucks in the basement. Yes. For hours and hours and hours. And And if he is, then he can be that kid. Yeah, that's great. Then he can be that kid. But, yeah, I mean, certainly I saw that a little bit just because – I would see that with parents because our son – was a swimmer. Mm-hmm. And so you see it when these kids are coming up as little kids. You know, Sports they're, they're, is really where you see it. 
You you really do. It's it's because it, 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 the the parents can't hide it. Yeah, they cannot hide that that need and that want. And I think with swimming, it was a little weird because it wasn't about a professional career per se. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not the same as like the NFL. But what was interesting is these kids that were getting pushed because there was scholarship money in it. Yeah. Or there was swimming is very easy to figure out who's gonna who's gonna be in the in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You can look at those times and you're, it's pretty clear. Like, if you make this time, you're going to time trial for the Olympics. If you don't, you're not going to. So the really elite swimmers that my son was around, my son was pretty good, but he wasn't going to – he didn't time trial for the Olympics. He did well, and he swam in college, and he did really well mm-hmm. in college. But there was never – there was never a time – he always knew, and I would tell him, like, at the times when there was great disappointment where he was like – when he would know just because the numbers were right in front of him – I'm not going to make that next cut. And he'd be so angry with himself and he would train harder and he would – this is a kid that never missed swimming. It's kind of like Jay where it was like I I would – he actually got mad at me once because I would come in in the morning, in Minnesota mornings, and it would be so cold. And they were swimming outside and I'd be like, dude, just sleep in. <laughs> like no no mom. that is like the wrong thing and so he would kind of ban me from coming in his room to wake him up because i was like a disincentive but you would see like these kids that were like would get yelled at after meets because of the way that they swam and you would just look at that and it would break your heart because it's like what are you doing what are you doing i know what are I- you doing it is a huge question it, i mean it's such a difficult thing to think how do you become that person that's yelling at your kid for right. not making for not swimming fast enough? I don't right. know. I mean, that's just to me not the place that you're yelling at them. I, it's just there's plenty of other things that you can yell at your kids about that might be legitimate. <laughs> well, like don't well, run into the street. You know what I mean? Right, like right. That's, that's a good thing. one. That's, that's like one. where you kind of terrorize them. I think that brings us back to Elizabeth. This idea of parenting for a peaceful world. I love that title of a book of the book because parenting for a peaceful world is also about parenting in a peaceful home. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you when you have a peaceful home, and this is sort of the, the core of Best of the Nest, when you have a peaceful home, the hope is that you turn out into the world peaceful parents and peaceful children who want to bring those skills, that skill set, that skill set of conflict resolution and expectation into the school, into their workplaces, into all those things. And this book, so I'm going to read you a quick description of what the book is actually about. Again, I haven't read it. But Parenting for a Peaceful World is a fascinating look at how child-rearing customs have shaped societies and major world events. It reveals how children adapt and are influenced by different parenting styles and how safeguarding their emotional development is key to creating a more peaceful, harmonious, and sustainable world. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen yeah, to that. Yeah, it's so true. Well, and so much of what you're doing as an adult is overcoming trauma. I mean, yeah. uh, so yeah. much of what holds you back as an adult is the trauma that you've experienced at some point in your life, whether that's childhood or wherever that is in your past. And I think minimizing trauma is the most important thing we can do. And the idea, though, of having a peaceful home, this is where I think particularly now in the pandemic, and I've been talking about this for months because I I am, I am very thoughtful about understanding the precautions that need to be taken in terms of the pandemic. I am equally, if not more so concerned 
about the impact and the fallout from those precautions that we're taking and what is happening in homes all across our country and across the world. Because I think that it is like, instead of creating our best nests, we are creating pressure cookers within these houses. Because I feel it in my own house, Marjorie. I mean, it is like, it is a lot easier to tip into being snippy, being snappy, being harsh with one another. When you are feeling this constant stress and when we are just constantly being limited in terms of what we can do. I just, that's where I'm just getting so concerned because I feel like we, I read this and we talk about creating, you know, a peaceful, harmonious and sustainable world. And I feel like everything that's happening right now is just making that virtually impossible to do in your house. Right. (laughs) Because I I just don't know how you do it. I think, and I think that's, that's a really interesting problem which is going to have ramifications for years to come. Right. And I think that that's something, you know, again, when we talk about a peaceful home, I'm so glad you said that because it's easy to say it. For it's sure. Harder, it's harder to do it. And, you know, I, in the thick of it, when I had little kids and they're yanking at you, they're trying to get in your space, you're trying to work, you're trying to whatever, it was hard in non-pandemic. Right situations where I look back and for me, much of what we talk about is I'm reminiscing. I'm going back and thinking, oh, I wish I had thought of this then. I wish I could have done this differently. And I will tell you, I can remember, there's so much that I've forgotten Mm -hmm. about raising my own children. But you know what I remember? The times when I lost it. Yeah. The times when I thought, oh my God, really? I I couldn't hold it together because of that? I know. And so I think about all of the young parents out there, and you're right, in the middle of all of this craziness, how and, – and, and parents, we know a lot of parents who have mid-range to really good resources. I think you were the one that first brought up, what about kids that aren't getting enough to eat because they're mm-hmm. missing the school programs? All yeah. of – I mean, you can go down that road, and it's very hard right now to keep a peaceful home. But I think that's also when it's really important to talk about it. Because it's almost like you have to raise your game again. You have to look at it again and say, okay, out of this pandemic, what what is the mental health state of my family? Where do we want to be as a family when all this is done? And I think, I think yeah, yeah. You'll go ahead. Well, I think it's also important to remember how resilient kids are. And we, um, I was thinking about this because if you argue in front of your kids or if you have those moments, I mean, we've all been in those situations, at least, at least I have, where you've been so mad at your husband that you feel like the fury is just emanating from your whole body, right? Like that oh, yeah. it is just completely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like how can everyone around you not completely feel how mad you are? And my mom was telling me, about and and I won't go into the details of why of when of a time that she was so mad at my father when we were when I was a kid and right. I was probably 6 6 or 7 right and she said she didn't speak to him for a couple of days she was so angry at him and and I don't remember that at all like I don't remember and she can remember it so vividly and remember feeling like she can remember every single thing about how she felt and about the family dynamic and all of that. And I don't remember any of it, which made well, me feel a lot better about times when well, I have been that angry because I just don't remember. 
of course my parents fought and they didn't always get along. And I think it is always, it's important to know too, that kids are, are focused on themselves. And so I don't know, you can beat yourself up about it as a parent. And I, I would not suggest that you do, but I, I, I'm almost sorry to say this to you. I remember from my childhood way too much. Really? Oh yeah. And it's really interesting because my oldest sister, because she's five years older than I am. Yeah. So depending on what was happening when she was five, six, or seven. Right. Was different from what was happening when I was five, six, and seven. Yeah. And my sisters and I talk about that too. We remember and, different things. Yeah. And she, you know, she's funny because she doesn't remember any of the conflict. She doesn't remember things that I remember. And I'll be honest, part of the reason I do what I do for a living is, and part of the reason, I mean, I went down to the University of Illinois as a business major. And I thought, well, this is going to do nothing to help me be me. (laughs) And I changed to a rhetoric major because I thought, well, at least then I can spend four years writing about and exploring what the hell am I feeling? (laughs) What is happening? Like, what is this all? And, you know, it was a creative expression, which was helpful to me. I mean, completely self-serving and not a way to say, yeah, I'm going to make a living doing this because, I mean, I was a rhetoric major, for God's sakes. Yeah, but But, also a very mature way to look at college because I certainly did not look at college that way. I I suppose. (laughs) I suppose. But I I think about – and I I, I would never say this to hurt my parents, but my God, why didn't you protect me? Yeah. And and I've said that quite clearly to both of them. I mean, I I in my 20s became very honest about – how I wish I hadn't been a part of some of the things I had to be a part of at age seven. Yeah. I can, I could remember my mother moving to a different, and I say this and it sounds affectatious, but I grew up in a very big house, to a different side of the house. Mm-hmm. We had two sets of staircases, so they literally could live in the same house and not see each other if they didn't want to pass each other on a staircase. Yeah. And that went on for six months. How does a kid not feel that? Mm-hmm. And so I think... Yes, I do agree with you that kids are resilient, but I think that resiliency has to come with conversation. For sure. Like if there's going to be trouble or if there's going to be conflict, and I don't know a house that doesn't have it. Some is more extreme than others. Mine certainly doesn't compare. I I would still take my childhood over many other childhoods, even though I think it was hard. Right. There was also, as I talked about just 15 minutes ago, there was a ton of love Mm -hmm. and a ton of support. It's just I don't think my parents were well-matched, and so that caused problems. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's difficult. And that brings me to this quote, which hit me very strongly. It says about, they are children, and that is that. Our task is to wonder at them, to learn about ourselves through our relationships with them. It is also to remind ourselves that children are not them, they are us. We have felt what they feel, yearned for what they yearn for, and if we are honest with ourselves, still do. And I think for me, the fact that I'm such good friends with my sons now and they're adults is because I always tried to put myself back to where they were. Yeah. I can touch back to being a five-year-old very easily, which is either really unhealthy or really sick. I'm not (laughs) sure which. But I think that's important to remember to feel what they feel. It is important. And I mean, that's empathy. And you're, I think you are a sensitive, observant person which is what makes you a really great storyteller. Yeah, it is. I think that 
that idea of thinking of yourself as what did you want when you were a child yeah. and how did you want to feel when you were a child and how did you want people to see you and look at you. I remember feeling a lot of frustration as a child that I wasn't taken as seriously or like my viewpoints weren't taken to be as important as adults viewpoints. Yes. And I yes. felt entitled that I I should be heard just like an adult should be heard. And my parents were always very, very good about saying, well, of course, absolutely. See, I yes. love that. I love and that. you should be heard and you should be understood. Hi, Heathcliff. You should be heard too. I know. I hear you. I hear you. Your children have fabulous timing. <laughs> and I just, I just pointed at the stairs at one of them and said, mouthed at them, get down there <laughs> is what I just did to the other one. So, you know, just so you know, this yeah. one can be heard. That one should not be heard at right this now. moment. Not right now. So I'll hear you, but not now. There's a lot of contradictions going on. Oh. Um, but I think that is something to to remember that they you have to observe each child individually too that your kids are not going to be the same as you were that they are going to have their own individual desires and their own needs and so if you observe each one individually and then try to I don't even know if you need to give them the give them as much as much as you just need to allow them the space and the opportunity to develop into who they're going to be yeah. And, and that's that's harder to do. Just to give space, I think yeah. as a parent, is a really hard thing to do. I don't think I was 100% successful. I know I wasn't 100% successful at that. I was in their space. Not always, but enough that I think I was there too much. It, yeah. It just depends on what your values are too. I mean, like you valued academics so much. I can never see myself pushing my kids really hard with school. I just don't think that I ever will do that. And I wasn't, I, we had an expectation of success, but it was only because my parents felt that with success came freedom and with financial security came freedom. And my parents didn't feel that freedom because they didn't have any financial success early on. You know, I've talked about this before. My dad was a Lutheran minister. I mean, here's a newsflash guys, small church (laughs) Lutheran ministers don't make a ton of money. Yeah. And he was very unhappy with that. And so they always wanted us to be, they wanted us to be financially independent, not so that we would show off for them, not so that they would be like, we're so proud of you. And I knew that very clearly. It was so that we would feel freedom that they didn't feel. Yeah. So that we would feel like when we needed to go grocery shopping for our families, we could just go and buy the things that we needed and not have to obsessively clip coupons. I was just talking with my dad about his coupon clipping and he can remember how his book of coupons, his organizations, oh. Oh. and then how much he would save, which now one could argue I should be doing that too now. Right. You know, I mean, everyone should be doing that regardless of how much money you have, that that was right. really great. But it's a different feeling. It is a different feeling to be clipping coupons because you, you want to, to save money. And it is a different feeling than because you have to, because you do not have any money to spend on groceries for your family. Right. I mean, and you're trying to are, stretch it. And you're trying to stretch it. Those are two very different motivations. And so his, their motivation for that with us was always about freedom and always about being able to, being able to do whatever we wanted to do in life, regardless of the money. I mean, not having to make choices based on 
finances is a is a great privilege and a great freedom and that's what they wanted for us. And it's so, something it's something worthy of working toward and I think it's yeah. so interesting that in that way like as our own little community, your family, my family that 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 is a common thread. And I did push the kids academically and maybe too much so, but what I would always tell them is good grades are freedom. Yeah. Good grades keep every door open. Yeah. And so I think that there's a, a baseline of I, – I do think that that's a, that's a good thing that your parents did for you. And I think that is a good thing I did for my kids in that sense that to know that making good choices allows you to keep making good choices. Well, and isn't like, that, Marjorie, like that's that's the point of what we get to on so many of these conversations, which is understanding the intention behind what you're doing. Yeah. So if you are pushing your kids – to be successful at something, you have to look closely at why you're doing that and what is the motivation because kids are smart and they can feel the motivation. Oh, yeah, they if can. the motivation is to make you look good to other people, they will feel that and they will recoil. If the motivation is deeper than that, it's, you know, it's like they say with weight loss, Marjorie, like, are you trying to lose weight just so that you'll look good? Or ask yourself why five times. Right. Why do I want to do this? Well, because I want to look good. Well, why do I want to look good? Well, I want to feel good. Well, why do I want to feel, you know, like you keep going down the whys. And if you can get to the real heart of why, that's where the true motivation comes in. And I think that's the same with, and I, you know, I hesitate to say pushing, but your job is to raise your kids and to try to help them become the best version of themselves, right? And to help them reach their potential and to help them become as independent as possible. That's the goal of parenting. It's the why do you want them to achieve certain things? You have to constantly be asking yourself because if it's a if it's anything less than the best for them and having nothing to do with the best for you, then they're going to be able to tell. Well, what's interesting when you say ask that question five times, what if you think about it this way? What if you're saying, what if the the children are asking that question five times? Why are my parents making me do this? Mm -hmm. Why are they? Why are they? Why are they? Why are they? If they can't come up with the healthy answers, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, if their answer to why are my parents making me do this so that they can brag about me to their friends so that they're so that they can look successful. So they have True. something for the Christmas letter to send out, right? Right. Oh, my, I won't say which son because I didn't get permission to tell this story on them, but <laughs> one of my sons in particular would hate it when he would hear me on a family call talking about any of his achievements. Yeah. Bugged the hell out of him. He's like, <laughs> they don't really care, mom. They don't. And <laughs> so why are you, and he would ask that question, why are you telling them? He was very sensitive, which I disagree with part of it. I have a right to tell his grandmother if something good has happened. Right, right. But I also understood that he didn't he didn't like the way that it made him feel about his own performance. Even right. though his performance was good, mm-hmm. it made it feel like a performance, mm-hmm. which it was coming from a very different place. And so I think that's a really interesting thing that you said, ask the five questions. I think – you should do that as a parent, but then you should extend that and think about what if my child asked these questions? What would be the answers that he would come, he or she would come to? I love that idea. Yeah, that's I love wild. that idea. And that's where you, you know, where we go back to your quote from Parenting for a Peaceful World. Our children do not want to be our projects. 
Yeah. Our children do not want to be our projects. That's, I, love that. I mean, that's great. It's, that's, a, there's a lot to unpack there and figure out, but I think just starting from that place that they just want to be them. They just yeah. want to be, which is what everybody wants to be. Everybody at our core, we just want to be who we are. We want to be seen for who we are and loved for who we are. That's it. And accepted. <laughs> and accepted. Loved and accepted. I think that's so key. Wonderful. There we are. What it's have we good solved? Stuff. We solved what have that. We solved? <laughs> and I was contradictory with my children because I saw one and told him to go downstairs. And the other one I saw and I said, let me help you. <laughs> so welcome to parenting, guys. So think of it this way. Yeah. One got seen today and one didn't. The other one will get seen tomorrow. The other one will get seen tomorrow. And it's still a pandemic. Oh, That's right. gosh. That's All right. right. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. What do you got, Marjorie? Well, this is from Amanda, and I'm not sure if it's from Amanda Pa or not. So I don't know if it's that Amanda. My sourdough guru. Your sourdough guru. Whichever Amanda it is, she had these nice comments for us. She said, uplifting and insightful. She said, every episode of Best of the Nest gives me new ideas to create the home I want, as well as inspire me to be intentional with my every day. I just love listening to Marjorie and Elizabeth and feel like an ideal day would be talking to them in person over a cup of coffee. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. You know, I think when our lives settle down, when we think we can do this, when we actually think we could achieve this, it might be do, it might be fun to do a couple of cups of coffee with people. 100%. Just set up some Zoom calls, have some coffee and, and have some chats with these wonderful people out there. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. Right, Heathcliff? To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.